0: Are you looking for truth from God's word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. A
1: promise is either unconditional or it isn't. There is no middle ground. If salvation is on the basis of trying, then it is not on the basis of trusting. But it is faith not works, grace, not law, belief, not behavior, which is the basis and the foundation of all that God gives to us. And then, if I think that keeping the law, why it can't save me, it's because our situation becomes hopeless. Look in verse 15. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there is no violation. Basically, it's saying here that It's hopeless if I think I can be saved by the law because once I have the law here, it's only going to do one thing. It's going to condemn me. And therefore, if there was no law, I wouldn't break the law. If I didn't break the law, I wouldn't be condemned because there is no law to break. So that's why the law is there. Let me see if I can make some sense for you this way. The question now would be, why was the law given? Primarily, it's given for this reason. I'm going to tell you what the world will tell you. The world will tell you all religions are good. They all have little principles in there that if you live by these principles, that it makes the world a better place to live. And so religion is good because they've got these great principles to live by. How many of you have heard something very similar or almost exactly that when they talk about the value of religion? Would you raise your hand if you've heard that? Okay, now let me tell you why that doesn't work. Because if you go back to them and you say, so you think religion is really good and it's very valuable, then why don't you ask them about some of the religions of the Middle East, if we followed their teaching, what have they done to people? What have they done to women? What have they done to their belief system? So that doesn't really work. So what's the purpose of the law? What value is the law? Well, first of all, the law is to tell you, listen carefully, it's God's divine standard of righteousness. He sets that up. Now, once he sets that up, the problem is Satan says, go keep the law so you can go to heaven. What God says, no, I wanted to show you, this is how good you have to be in order to go to heaven. Then he says, you can't do this. And it's this law now that is actually condemning you. So this law is putting you underneath the present and the future wrath of God because it's out there and you can't keep it. Now, it's good to not kill people. It's good not to steal. It's not good to, you know, have sex with your neighbor's wife, etc. We get all of that. That's all good principles. But as far as salvation, none of that can get us into heaven. So now we see ourselves hopelessly lost. Let's get a little bit further presently and future condemned, and now we see, uh uh-oh, I need help. So now what does the law do? According to Galatians, the law now says, you need a Savior. You can't save yourself. This law can't save you. The best it can do is condemn you. So now you need a Savior. So now what it is, is Jesus over here, like in a lifeguard suit, says, I'm going to save you. I'm going to rescue you. You are drowning in your sin, and you will go to hell. And so he is right there ready to jump off the lifeguard stand, which he did, goes to the cross, pay for our sin, and now he will rescue anyone who will place their faith in Christ. I would have never, watch this, I would have never known I transgressed and needed a Savior unless there was a law. That's the point that this is making here. So it's hopeless. So we need to keep some of these things in mind because if we do, it will help us understand these truths so much more. I put James chapter 2 in here for you. Did you see that? Because some of you might be at the persuasion says, "Okay, I might not be able to keep all of the law, but I might be able to keep some of the law." When I hear that, it's like saying, "You're almost pregnant, you know? Are you pregnant or not pregnant?" You know, you know what I'm trying to say. Is, is there some like kind of neat sins and some bad sins? I I, I don't think so. It's like um, I, I don't know if you've ever had this happen. I our family was invited to this beautiful country club community in Texas up in Bernie and uh, the Dominion. And these people lived in this house and they just had it built and they wanted us to come and bless their house, bring our boys over and have a sleepover the night we'd have kind of food and fellowship and play some games. I know I did play games, but play games and all of that. And so in the middle of the night, I hear this crash bang and I come up real quick and our older boy... Somehow, he got lost in the house looking for the bathroom. We were on the second floor. They didn't have all the furniture in the house. He tumbled down the stairs and he put his foot through the drywall of a brand new house that they haven't lived in in a week that was just built, a million-dollar home. And we have how do we fix this? Right there where everybody will see so no matter how much you try to repair that, you can't. Our son Greg comes up and he says, Dad, Dad, don't worry. I've only put a hole in a part of the wall. Well, did you catch what I'm saying? You break the law in one point, you're guilty of the whole thing. We've got a big problem here. And of course, the people were just like, I believe all of you were, oh, don't worry about it, pastor. That's okay. Really love you. That can happen to anybody. Our kids could do that too. We'll get it repaired. We have the money to do that. That was really great. Never came back to church again. Now, I'm joking on that last part, okay? <laughs> but I have to tell you, when you break the glass, you break the whole glass, you got a problem. Are you getting this? Are you having a hard time with that? Let me use one other illustration because i got some kids in here. I love doing this one. Don't you ever do this at home. Okay. Let's say that I'm on, on Kauai over the uh, Waimea Canyon here, and I'm on one side, and there's the other side of the Waimea Canyon, and that's going to represent that other chair over there is the Waimea Canyon, and I'm over here. And I want to get over there, but I don't want to have to drive all around and go see that. So I want to get over there. So all of a sudden, I realize there is a sky chain. On a sky hook hanging down. Now, this gets really weird, but you'll get it in a moment. But each link on that chain represents one of the Ten Commandments. There's ten of them. Although we've already made the case there was more than the ten in the context of Scripture. I'm just using ten because that's the one that most people think about. So let's just say that I got this sky chain, and I'm going to grab a hold of this sky chain, and I'm going to swing across the Waimea Canyon and get to get the other side. So as I get ready to get the sky chain, and I'm ready to swing, it's okay because only one of those links. Broken. Now that means I'm only gonna fall how far? That far? No, because only one no, I will fall all the way down. So it doesn't matter whether I've broken all of them or one of them, I still am gonna have problems if I rely on the law or this sky chain to do that. I'll be mashed stand down below. And so will all of us. So that's why one more time it is hopeless to think that keeping the law can save us, because it cannot save us. Now I don't want to tell you that the law is so bad. Because there is value in doing good things, etc. But once you start counting on that, watch this, watch this, watch this, for two things. Salvation and sanctification. You've got a problem there, okay? So the law has value, but not for those two. And we'll get into sanctification on another Sunday if we can. All right, I hope that makes a little bit more sense to you. So let's go a little bit further and answer the question, what about faith? All right, two verses and we'll be done. What about faith? And that gets into the positive here because verse 16 says, for this reason, it is by faith. All right, now if you will, underline the word by faith. Now some of you might uh, take issue with me because I keep using the phrase by faith alone. And you might think, oh I don't want to take issue. I'm going to tell you. Um, About a month ago, because I preach on this issue of faith alone so much, it found its way on the radio in San Antonio. And I got a scathing email from someone that said how can you say it's by faith alone it's not by faith alone and I responded with some verses the next thing came in the mail was a huge box and it was a 600 page book and in it is why salvation is not by faith alone and it also came with a cd of why salvation is not faith alone from a young man who then grew up in a um, evangelical home who then became a Roman Catholic and began to substantiate why Roman Catholics can go to heaven by faith and works and not by faith alone. I started reading through the book. So much, I wish I had another life so I could take the time to answer polemically all of his statements because they're taken out of context. The Greek is wrong. Hermeneutics is out to, out to lunch. But I can see where he would get that if you look at it from the mind of someone who does not see the faith alone. So you look at this passage and you say, how can you say faith alone It's not there? Because it doesn't say faith plus something. It just says by faith. Now there are other passages that refer to faith alone, but it's by faith. So hear this very loudly. It's not by works, not by keeping the law, all right, not by circumcision, not by rules, regulations, or rituals. It is by grace through faith. Now, keep that in mind when we say that. But it's also by faith in Christ, not just simple faith. It has to have the right object. All right, so what are some things about faith that goes into this passage? Verse 16, "...for this is it, this is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace." Faith confirms grace. Faith confirms grace. See if I could say it another way. All right. By God's grace, he chooses to save me by telling me that I need to place my faith in Christ. When I place my faith in Christ, that finishes the work of grace in my life. So it establishes salvation by grace when I place my faith in Christ. Watch this. If I then see God's grace in front of me but I then say I'm going to be good instead that does not establish grace any longer what that establishes is a by works righteousness so that's why it says here faith confirms grace it's all about grace number two faith makes salvation certain another time for you to underline this in your Bible it's really great it says, for this reason, it is by faith, nor that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants. Underline the word guaranteed. That's like a promise. It's like a promise that cannot be broken. It is an absolute ironclad guarantee that that is given to you. How clear that is for us to own and to embrace. It is not by basing any good deeds that we do ourselves. Next, faith opens the door of salvation to everyone. The end of verse 16 and the beginning of verse 17 says, not only to those who are of the law, that would refer to the Jewish people, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. That would be to those non-Jewish people, those that place their faith in Christ, who is the father of us all. Now, before I go any further, I want you to catch this truth. In the world, there was only people. Abraham comes along and he establishes the Jewish nation. So, in a sense, strictly speaking, there were no Gentiles until you had the Jewish people. Now, I'm I'm making that as a strictly speaking sense right here. Now, what it's saying is those people who place their faith in Christ, Abraham, watch this, becomes the father of all of them for a lot of reasons because he was the one who... Who made it clear that salvation was by faith in the Lord. And that's why he becomes, in a sense, our father through our faith alone in Jesus Christ. Not based on any good works we do. Let's go a little bit further. Not only to those of the law, but to those of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you. You might be interested to know that the word Gentile means nations. A father of many Gentiles have I made you So that would be us who are non-Jews. He became our father in a sense. So we became Jewish spiritually when we placed our faith alone in Jesus Christ. And that sends it in a wonderful position for us. Now this verse brings me to two conclusions. This tells me that anyone can get saved. It's talking about Jewish people can get saved because it's by faith. Gentiles can be saved. It's by faith. So that lets me know that I need to give the gospel to everybody. Which brings me to my second conclusion is this. It is very right. Listen up, people. It is very right that we as a body support our missionaries. Because they're the ones that are in country that we may never get to. These are the ones who have risked their lives, who stepped out on faith to separate from families, to go into a people group who oftentimes have never heard about Christ. And they're the ones to say that these are the ones that they still need to trust Christ as their personal Savior. Listen, why we believe in global evangelism why we believe in local evangelism is because if people, here it is, if people do not hear a clear gospel message and trust Christ as their Savior, I don't care what people group they are, they will not have eternal life. Therefore, we are passionate about encouraging Christians once they come to know Christ to come alongside others for the purpose of probing them with the gospel. Why we want to spend our money on supporting missionaries. Why we ourselves want to go on short-term mission trips. Why we ourselves might be asking ourselves, hey, we're the second miler of our life. Maybe we should do some mission work so we can take the message to all people groups because it's salvation by faith alone. So to me, this very much excites me. Finally, faith saves us because it rests on God's unchanging character, not on my good works. In the presence of him whom he believed, who Abraham believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Wow, that is huge. On God's unchanging character. All right. You are so patient with me, but I've got to give you this one last truth and I'll give you application. We'll be gone. Remember my timeline up here? We had Abraham and then through him it said that you're going to have so many people through you and it's through your heritage, posterity, that there's going to be the pardon for sin because through you is going to be the Savior, the one who will actually do the work of salvation, dying and rising again, your place placing your faith in God who's going to send a future Savior over here. And all of a sudden, you've got Abraham, he's hearing all of this stuff, he's shriveling up, his wife is shriveling up, all their organs are basically, reproductive organs are dead inside of him. In fact, Hebrews 11 says, they were dead, 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 dead inside of him. And now you can imagine why Abraham is thinking, now how in the world could God do this, because we are effectively, reproductively dead And now he is saying, I believe this God who still says that out of me, many nations will be blessed. Many people groups will be blessed. There'll be pardon and posterity and land and all of that. And look, we're dead, wife. I'm dead. How is this going to happen? But I'm going to believe God's going to do this. And that's why the scripture says who could raise him from the dead. Not that Abraham was all dead, dead, dead. But that which is to the promise was dead, 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 dead. God had to give him life in some measure, do a miracle. So he was believing in a miracle working God. Did you catch that? Now, let's take that a little bit further. Now, he finally gets a son that God approves of, which is whom? Isaac. Now, he, takes, he hears from God that he's supposed to take Isaac up this little mountain over here and then kill this Isaac and use him as a sacrifice, and all the time he's doing this, he's preparing the wood, the fire, the knife. He takes his son. He brings his, his servants with him, which is very important because later on in James, it talks about faith without works is dead. Not before God. If you don't have the works, God still sees your heart. You're still saved. But your faith is dead to other people seeing you. And those servants were watching you do all of this stuff. So he goes out there. So in his mind, read Hebrews 11, and you're going to see... Even though he was told to kill Isaac somewhere along the line, he had enough faith in God knowing the promise said he'd have a lot of kids and the Savior would come from that posterity line that even if he killed him, something had to happen. So he now gets ready. He lays his son out, drops the wood on top of him, gets the fire going, gets his knife up, and just as he's ready to slit the throat of his son like a lamb sacrifice, the Lord says, stop, I've got a sacrifice in the bushes. And why could anybody like Abraham do this? Because he knew ahead of time that God had a promise and he would keep his promise. So he is believing, watch this, he's believing in the very nature and character of God. So I didn't see Jesus dying a cross. All I have left to believe is what I read in scripture and to count on its veracity. All I have is to be able to see how God has worked and changed the lives of, of people throughout history to know that, that this is true. But it's still, it's still, it's still a leap of faith, okay? And that's what Abraham had to do. And that's why God says, (laughs) works are the easy part. Faith is the hard part. And it was that faith that I see and recognize. And I reward that faith. Scripture says, well, what are my final thoughts? Well, the law can never save anyone because it cannot change human nature. An old TV show called The Streets of San Francisco, you old-timers. Remember Detective Mike Stone? He said this, all the laws in the world won't stop one man with a gun. And I'd like to take that into current events today. And you can see, you can make all the laws you want. You can go back and visit everything that's happening in Missouri, everything that might be happening in New York, everything that be happening in Honolulu. I don't care how many laws you have. You can try to hopefully try to control humanity by, by those laws. But the one thing you can't do is you can't fix it unless the person's heart is changed. Now, stay with me. When the United States Constitution was set up, it was built upon the premise of believing that there was a changed heart within the people. So the Constitution was to basically guide humanity, true, but Christians mostly, because we had the capacity to be able to do these things and live by these things, because it's a republic, not a democracy. And number two, faith can save you because it rests on Christ, who has the power to change you from the inside out to make you a new person in Christ. It's all Christ. It's all faith. Laws only condemn. Faith gives you freedom in Christ. Free grace in Christ. Let's pray, shall we, with every head bowed and every eye closed. I know I'm beating this drama, faith alone, and it's not by works. I want you to see that the law is very inferior, cannot say. It can condemn and point you to Christ. It can certainly do that. But it can't save you. But the good part about the law is it does point you to Christ. It's kind of letting you know you're drowning and you can feel the chokingness of it. And it's saying there is a Savior and he's right there to save. And what you need to do is just reach out in faith. You don't have to walk an aisle. You don't have to stand up. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to do anything, whether it's a religious good deed like water baptism or even communion that we'll be experiencing here in just a moment. It's none of that. Those are all outward things. It's an inward thing. With that in our own heart, we realize that Jesus is the Lord who died and rose again, and that going to heaven is not by works, not by keeping the law man made laws, religious laws, social laws. And even our own little set of laws. We kind of develop our own little religion and we live by it, and we think that's going to satisfy us. And my big question is, is you're going to count? What happens to you after you die on something you kind of concocted yourself? Don't you think that'd be a little dangerous? When right in front of you, the Lord says, I love you. I've demonstrated my love for you on the cross. I paid your sin debt. My resurrection signifies the Father's been satisfied with the payment. So now he says, will you now with simple abandoned faith place your faith alone in me and you'll experience right now the full forgiveness of your sin. You will have a home in heaven waiting for you, but better than that is an eternal relationship with Christ that begins today, not when you get to heaven and you see him up there. I can't promise you that your life will be without problems. I cannot promise you that. But I can promise you that you will have a living problem solver in it. But you must trust Christ. So is there anyone here that's ready now to say, yes, I've been mulling this over for a while. I finally understand that good works don't get me to heaven. I do realize that it's by faith. I've seen it again. Righteousness by faith. By faith. Belief. I saw it over and over again in just a few verses tucked away in Romans. Even outside of John 3.16, that everyone quotes. And so, Lord, today is the day I'm trusting Christ as my Savior. Abraham did it thousands of years ago. He believed the Lord in the promise. While he didn't have it all, he did see it in shorthand. You have more. He had perhaps a little less to, to sift through to believe. You might have a lot more to sift through. That doesn't make it more difficult. Actually, it makes it more easy for you. Because there's so much truth that points to salvation by faith alone in Christ. Is there anyone here today that's ready to trust Christ as your Savior? And if there is, simply say this to the Lord. Lord, I know I've done things wrong. But I want to thank you for dying on the cross and paying for my sin. I want to thank you that I have a no so salvation, not a hope-so salvation. I know it's not by me keeping the laws, and I know that it's not trusting Christ and then keep the law afterwards to stay saved. I want to thank you that it's by faith alone, and now I'm sealed with you. I'd like to pray for you, my dear friends. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, is there anyone in here today that would like for me to pray for you because today is the day you have already trusted Christ? I don't mean you've done it last week or another time in your life, but today's the day you did it, but you've trusted Christ. See, my praying doesn't get you into heaven, but now that you've trusted Christ, I want to welcome you into God's forever family. So is there anyone that already today trusted Christ as your Savior today and you'd like for me to pray for you? Now, when you raise your hand, you won't have to stand up or come forward. I won't embarrass you. Yeah, you ought to have a say-so salvation along with your no-so salvation, but you don't need a say-so salvation to have a no-so salvation. It's based on faith alone, not even going public about it. You should. It's a good thing to do. God tells us to, but it's not linked to getting saved or staying saved. It's something we do as a grateful response for being saved. So is there anyone in here today that would, with a silent hand, indicate to me that you're trusting Christ and you want me to pray for you? Would you slip up your hand real high so I can see it. Is there anyone at all? Anyone? Thank you. All right. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we're about to partake of communion. And when we do, we're looking at a communion experience here, remembering your body and your blood. Which in a sense was that sacrifice that paid our sin debt for us. That Abraham knew so very little about except when he offered up Isaac as a sacrifice. But Father, so many others have. And so for us, Father, as we do this, we're communing with you. We're experiencing the very person and the work of Christ. And so to do this, Lord, we want it to be a reminder about being in your family by faith alone being in your family with love one toward another, being in your family with a desire for holiness and righteousness, not to be saved, not to stay saved, but because we are. And so as we do this communion, it's to remember your death until you come again. And we do this in loving solidarity as a family here. Father, I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.